Uh, and so we've been looking for our guests here. We've been looking at what culture has to say about essentially seven, I think it was seven, seven main uh, aspects of our culture. So government, religion, entertainment, education, et cetera, et cetera. And we took a look at, all right, what does the world have to say that this cultural paradigm looks like? And then what does heaven have to say about how we are to view things within the paradigm of heaven, essentially the culture of heaven, right? Because we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. As Philippians 3.20 says, and today, to finish it off, uh, I want to talk about family as the last aspect of culture. And, uh, you know, it's just cool how the Lord brings this together. I wasn't planning this. But the Lord, I just felt like he was saying, like, family, you know, I, I've made family last in, in terms of the sermon series. Because if we want to go forward in really in the power of the gospel and go forward in really changing culture around us, uh, we're going to have to do it together. Like, you, you, can't, you can't do this alone, right? We have to do this with the Father, we have to do this with the Son, we have to do this with the Spirit, but also we have to do it as a family, Amen. right? And so we are a family here. Um, if we take a look, um, there is a, uh, a, a video, a movie that had a pretty big impact on me when I was younger. Uh, it's called Into the Wild. Has anyone ever seen that movie? Cool. Uh, pretty, pretty powerful movie. Um, and so I want to explain a little bit what's going on here. Or rather, maybe it would be more powerful just to see the video, and then I'll explain a little bit. And it's going to be tying into the aspect of family. So if we can go to that, um, just make sure that computer music is on, right?
Mary, do you mind just getting the lights on in there? Um, so, uh, for some of you that know me a, a little bit better, you're probably like, oh, now I know why Dave like, watched this movie and he's bringing it into a sermon. Because that's, that's kind of like part of my, my dream is to kind of do that. Yeah, but maybe not quite to that extent. But there, there is a purpose here and there is a point to all this. And so, for those of you who saw the, the movie, I mean, you kind of maybe know maybe where we're going. But this is, this is a true story. A, a young man by the name of Chris McCandless in the 90s, he, he's brought up in, as like a trust fund baby. His daddy has everything taken care of. I think he's going to go to Brown or Stanford. Like, it's all this consumption and buying things and wealth. And um, what happens here is this trust fund baby is like, this is what I want out of life. Like, there's got to be more to it than this. And he has some family issues that are going on. And he decides to literally get rid of his, pretty much his identity. He cuts up all of his credit cards. Like, what 18-year-old has a credit card, right? But he's got credit cards and he's got American Express. And he even has his driver's license. And he gets rid of it all. And he wants to just go out west and just kind of be by himself and do his little pilgrimage. And he sets his eyes on the last frontier, Alaska. And he goes up to Alaska. He actually gets there. After meeting all these wonderful people, he's going to finish his journey. And he's going to go to Alaska where he's going to live off the grid and get in touch with all this kind of philosophical meanings of life. And so he gets up there in the winter and he crosses over a frozen river. He crosses over a frozen river, and he sets up camp. He actually finds an abandoned bus. It's like out in a field somehow, only in Alaska, right? And he, he makes that essentially his home or his tent. And he's living there, and he's hunting, and he's foraging, all this kind of stuff. And he is living there, okay? And so that's the first part of what's going on here. We'll come to the rest of his story later. Through looking at this, and you see this, and I'm even looking at my own life and looking at many of maybe our own lives, Proverbs 18.1 comes to me. An isolated man seeks his own desire. When we are isolated, we're doing it because we are seeking our own desires. Our own desires opposed to the desires of the Lord. Our own desires opposed to the desires of our family unit. And so what happens here is I'm just going to encourage you that many of us may, have, may kind of be like this man, Chris McCandless, at times in our life. Maybe it's not like, fine, you're going to go to the Rocky Mountains or to Alaska, but spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, you close yourself off. You may be in a whole room of people, but you're closed off to everyone. I would argue scripturally that there is an element of that there's an isolation that has occurred because you want to seek your own desire, whatever it may be. It could be some fraternity boy that goes off and isolates himself and parties it up and does all this kind of stuff. Or it could be someone who isolates himself and closes off because they want to, in fact, maybe feel some type of pity or whatever you want to call it. I think you guys can kind of understand what's going on here. But that's not the gospel. It's not the full gospel. It's not what we've been intended to be. It's not what we are called to be. It's not what we've been designed to be. I mean, God made Adam. He sees that. I, I see that you're alone. I need to make you a helpmate. That helpmate does not have to be someone physically a spouse. A helpmate is your brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? And so this is the power of family. So here it is. Church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. Here we are. There's the building. But it's really not a place that's kind of funny how, or how so the Lord, what Alan was just talking about, right? Like, to, you don't have to come here. You get to come here and be with family. And I truly do believe 
that if we want to walk out the power of the gospel and walk out what the Lord has destined for this church, for this people, is that we really need, yes, to do an even better job at being family. It's so, it's so good, but sometimes if we've come from bad family experiences or if we've come from bad congregational experiences, we've lost the understanding that we're not a church. We're a family that comes together as the body of Messiah. That's what we are. And so here we are. There you guys are. Multi-generational. We have younger, we have older, we have babies, we have older, older. We have a multicultural or multiracial congregation, which is so powerful. We have so many different races and so many different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds that are represented here. It's really a rich, vibrant culture that we have here, which is so beautiful. It's like, it's just my, you know it does the heart, the, the heart of the Lord well when you see a 20-something-year-old in, Indian-American holding, you know, the youth pastor's son who's African-American in her lap right now in a service. Come on. Tell me that's not the kingdom right there. Yes. How awesome is that? Whew. Yes. So good. It's so good. So yeah, this, this is what we have, right? One family with a shared purpose. And so if we take a look here, what, what is family? A family defined as a group consisting of parents and children living together in a household, which may not really fit here. But the, the next part here I thought was so powerful. A family. All the descendants of a common ancestor. Right, Father Abraham had many sons. Either that song or just the reality of our ancestor in the spirit is, is the Lord, right? And we have that connection where we can all have this common denominator. We have a common father, right? We have a common spirit that binds us all together as this family. It's like, it's so cool, but I feel like a lot of times we may in fact forget it. Sometimes we still come on a Sunday or a Wednesday thinking that we're going to Target, you know, and or that we're going to work and we're just like, you know, no, like we're supposed to be a family. And so there are different types of family, right? Uh, so if you take a look at some of the church models and the, and the, the, the Christianity Today, Charisma Magazine, there's a whole bunch of articles on different types of branding of churches, okay? Uh, the first type of church, which no one wants to really be a part of, is the dying church. It's the church that like... For some reason, there's a thousand and one reasons potentially where it just seems that like it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and maybe there's something going on. Maybe it's just the lifetime of that congregation. The Lord is saying, hey, you know what? You haven't done anything wrong. There's no foul play. There's no, nothing spiritually wrong, but I'm just moving people into another place. I mean, that, that does happen. That does happen. I mean, the Lord, like the church, the family, the kehilah, the, the ecclesia of, of the body is, is all of us, right? And so maybe he's just repositioning things because he's getting ready to do something special. He does that, right? Uh, the next kind is the family church. That's what we are, uh, under 100 members. And it should be very natural. It should be very natural at this stage of the game for us all to be a family because there's not a lot of us, uh, but there's a lot of different types of people and we can come together. Of course, we have the mid-sized church, about 100 to 500 then we have the large church, 500 to 1,000. And then, of course, a mega church of 1,000 plus. But why I'm using this is to explain some things that are going on here. It turns out, as I have done some reading amongst the family of churches, uh, that something unfortunate happens. Um, 
which may not seem like a big deal if you are thinking about church as a corporate entity, an institution, but is a little messy, I think, if we think about it as a family. Apparently, in the United States of America, 80 to 90% of all church growth is actually church transfer. That's not good. It's really not good. That's kind of like saying, like, I don't like this family, so I'm going to move on to another family, or I'm going to move on to another family, and I'm going to move on to another family, and I'm just going to jump and go to another family. Or, you know, you know, I mean, there's things. I mean, there's times, seasons, the Lord, I mean, I'm not saying, like, if you've come from another church, like, how dare you? I mean, I mean all of us, almost everyone here has come from a different congregation, right, except for maybe 10 of you, right? And so in seasons, that's totally appropriate and totally normal. I mean, the Lord is building it together, and some people have callings in their life to network and, and things of that like. But when we take a look at a success of our church or any church, I think the real success would be is not the transfer of people, but what? New people coming into the family, right? Like people that were lost, who are now saved, who are coming in and you're encouraging and you're cycling. That's where, that's where success, if, if you want to call it success, right? That's where the heart of the Lord is. Not like, hey, we're going to move to like now this church and that church gets bigger and bigger and bigger and mega church. It's just a very interesting stat when you put it within the framework of a family uh, because, you know, I think families are, are meant to grow together. And please, I'm the, last, I'm the last person to say, like, don't visit another church, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying, like, hey, if you feel the Lord is calling you to another place, go, be blessed, right? But the power here is that it's kind of weird. Like, if we look at certain congregations, like, wow, they're so big. Um, big thing here is, wow, most of the growth in the church in America is actually smaller churches being engulfed by larger churches. Maybe because of some of the things they have, I mean, ministries and, and capabilities, which is great. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's something to keep your eye on, right, uh, of that. So, you know, a question here with all of this is, okay, so fine, you got a goldfish jumping to another. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the thing here is... Why did I come to Bristol? Um, and I think this is kind of the heart of family. Uh, I came here, uh, and I would say that not just I, but you being here, you have to understand, because of the dynamics here, uh, your presence really matters. I'm not saying your presence doesn't matter if you go somewhere else, or if you've been to somewhere else, or if you desire to go somewhere else. It's, it's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that, like, because of the nature of, of us and, and the smaller numbers and the community that we're in, I know when I first started coming here, I was like, wow, my, like, my presence really matters. Like, if I'm not here, someone's going to know. In fact, if I'm not here, maybe the soundboard isn't going to be getting done, or maybe something isn't going to be set up. Um, when I started coming here with, uh, with Peter being the pastor here, I was like, wow, this is a place where I can receive from the Lord but also a place where I'm able to serve the Lord and do something for Him, right? There's so much need, there's so much growth, there's so much of the spreading of the gospel that needs to take place that like every last one of you, it's like, man, if you're not here, like we, 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 we actually experience that, right? Nothing against John who does the soundboard. John's not here, he's not doing the soundboard. It's like, oh, okay, what's going on? And Sharon's not here. It's like, oh, Alan's not here. It's like, who am I going to pray with in the beginning? And like, you feel it, you really feel it, you know? And larger churches, you know, your presence does matter. But what I'm trying to say here is like, literally when you're not here, it's like, they're not here. 
Like, we need you, man. Not necessarily to put pressure on you to come like every time, but I'm hoping you're hearing the heart. Like, as a family, right? When you're in a family, if someone is not there because they're doing something, like, you experience it. You know it. It impacts you. You feel it. And so I believe that this really needs to be the culture of, of the church. And so some people may say, well, Dave, is that selfish? Like, go to a church, or you're a part of a family that really needs you. Yeah, it is selfish. Yes and no. Because what's going on here is this. It is a God-given desire to be wanted. It's a God-given desire to be needed. Uh, I'm telling you from here that each and every one of you, when you are not here, it's felt. And that's not to put like a heaviness on you, like, you gotta be here. No. It's not what I'm doing. I'm saying... Like, the love is so rich here that when you come or when you're not here, like, your smile is missed. Your personality is missed. Your presence is missed. And that's a beautiful thing as a family. Because we're supposed to bind together as a family. Because the body of Messiah is meant to be that way. And that's the power of, of this, right? First Timothy if you can't read it, it's the scripture that we read earlier, but treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now what's really crazy here is just to really understand this family mindset. The early congregation in the first couple centuries had some very, very strange accusations made against them by the Romans. Very strange. One, they thought that believers uh, were committing incest. Does anyone know why they thought that believers were actually committing incest and the Romans were like, oh my goodness. Joe Kelly. They called each other brothers and sisters. There was such a close bond between the, you know, the church of Galatia, right? the congregation of, uh, of, of Philippi, that people were like, no, like you guys, like you're calling each other's brothers and sisters, you're acting like brothers and sisters. They couldn't quite wrap their mind around that like, wait, they're not really brothers and sisters and they're getting married and they're having families. Like they couldn't comprehend it. Like that's how closely knit they were as a, as a, as a family, as a body. They were that tight. They were that close, eating together, having fellowship together, like brother, sister, treating each other with purity. And they... How can, they, how can a brother and a sister get married? Right? Uh, another thing that they thought was um, is that believers were involved in some kind of weird sexual impurity because of the love that they're always talking about. The love, the love, the love. They equated the love to like the eros type of love, the, uh, the, the physical um, interaction of love. Yes, Mary? Right. You're talking on them as if they're your mother or your sister. It's like, well, that's not your wife. Right. Like, like what's up with that? Yeah, yeah there was such, such expression of love towards one another. <laughs> Couldn't understand it. Right? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, PDA kind of has, at least as a high school teacher, has like a negative connotation, right? Um, uh, I mean, yeah, we all know what you're saying. Yeah, but the PDA, that public display of love. Right? And affection towards one another. Because, like, I'm supposed to be looking at Millie, like, essentially as, as a mother. I mean, her son and I are about the same age. Um, I should be like treating her like a mom and caring for her like her mom and 
giving her a hug like I would to my mother. Yeah. Yeah, and so the reason why I was holding off on that is because the next slide is in connection to it. No, it's good. No, it's great. This is what family does. This is what family does. So before you read the whole thing, uh, this is a second century source uh, f from, from Rome. Uh, Octavius is a believer. Uh, he is walking in the courtyard, uh, in, like in the market, and a pagan, a Roman, who worships multiple gods, comes up to him and says, Oh, I heard about you followers of Messiah. I heard about you guys. And this is, you guys are, are doing incest. You guys have these weird love fests. Like, it's really wacky stuff. And so Octavius actually responds to the pagan and says, no, this is what's going on. This is from the second century. If you came to one of our meetings, you would find that the lovemaking and intimacy you are so quick to imagine is of a totally different nature. Like the PDA that Mario said. Totally different nature. We meet before sunrise because we are working people. We have jobs to go to. We do not always meet in secret, but we have no temples or synagogues, so we use somebody's home, which has enough room. We call one another brother and sister and pledge to love one another because that is what our Lord commanded us to do. And if we greet one another and bless one another with a holy kiss, not out of lust, but out of genuine love and concern for one another. Come, and you will see that we demand the highest standards of morality among all who join us. That's 1,800 years ago. That's the connection that the body had. That's powerful, isn't it? Whew. To have such love that the pagans are confused by the love that you're displaying. That's unbelievable. So where is this kind of love coming from, right? We have a common ancestor, right? Family, those who have a common ancestor. Uh, Jesus himself says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Right? There's a call by the Messiah that we are, in fact, involved in this family. Anyone who does the will of the Father, we're bound together in this family through a common ancestor, a lot of you probably know the importance of coming together in families. You see in Proverbs 27, it's a popular phrase or popular verse that is shared. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You guys have heard that one before? Right? Like two believers coming together, two pieces of iron will sharpen one another, make it stronger and better. So the coming together actually makes us better and stronger and, and better equipped. It was really powerful. Uh, we were talking the other day about uh, translations, right? Uh, the King James Version here says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another in lifting up their countenance. Right? It's a notion of like your countenance, like your total spirit is changed. When you're involved with your brother and sister, like you're, you're changed. That's the power of it. All right. So with all this, here's the reality, right? There, there's certain kind of blockages, right? Uh, that keeps us from, from doing this. Right? past hurts, things that you've gone through, or maybe you just don't even know what it's like. How do you, how do you actually engage in family? Like if you come from a broken family, you don't, even, you don't even have a paradigm of understanding. And so there are things that keep us from really engaging in family. Uh, one is the guarded person. This is a person that is, is, is so guarded that they don't open themselves up because opening yourself up creates vulnerability. 
When you open yourself up to a brother or sister, you're now vulnerable. Um, and that may happen for a couple of reasons. It, it could, uh, could happen because you have past hurt. And there needs to be healing that takes place. You may have past hurt from your physical family. You may have past hurt, can you believe it? It happened. From your spiritual family. And now when you draw closer to someone, there's a, there's a vulnerability and there's a, I need to be safe and I need to just protect that, which is completely understandable in some regards. Uh, and it is understandable because, uh, be careful how I say this, but if you're in a very large church, if you are that guarded person, you get to hide. You get to hide. Now, if you're at a large church and you're involved in like a cell group and things like that, well, now you're being drawn into that community, right? But in a, a family-style church like this, you can't hide. So if there are past hurts, if, if a brother or sister has wounded you, wow, you don't get to hide. You don't get to kick it underneath the carpet. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to not just, you have to face it one, and then you have to? Yeah, and how do you deal with it? Anna? Can, can you explain that? Amen. There, it's tough sometimes. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, so for those that may be listening later, uh, Matt and Anna was talking about Matthew 18, which is exactly what's going on here. Uh, is that if someone has wronged you, you go to them as a person, right? To a, uh, to a brother and sister. Hey, man, like I was a little hurt by this. This is what's going on. If there still isn't you know, healing that takes place, then you bring another person. If there still isn't restoration, we then talk to leadership to try to bring everyone together, okay? Now, you can't always do that in a really kind of big corporate kind of structure, although you can. But what I'm saying is many of us have past hurts and they're there and they created, as Anna said, bad fruit. It created bad fruit and that bad fruit now may keep you a little bit more isolated because you seek your own desire of self-preservation, which is more or less very natural. But the body in the New Testament is saying, no, 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 like you need to rectify this. You need to be reconciled in the spirit of reconciliation, in the spirit of love. As brothers and sisters, you have to do that. And when you do that, everyone gets to learn, everyone gets to grow, your bond is tighter, your bond is stronger, and the gospel goes further, right? And iron sharpens iron. Well, I didn't see it that way. Like, there's, there's so much place of growth that can take place when you do that. Because that's what family does. The culture of family is not one like, you yelled at me and I don't like you, so now I'm going to leave you. 
and go to the other side of the country or whatever. No, family is supposed to come together. The culture of heaven would say, no, don't have the fragmentation. Don't have the splintering. That's not what heaven wants. The kingdom wants us to come together as true, deep family. So that when people see us, they can even see us disagree, but also come together in love. That's going to be a very powerful, I think that's a very powerful thing uh, going into the future in this country. Uh, the second uh, type of blockage may occur uh, because of what I'm calling the Cain and Abel type of uh, paradigm. Uh, and that is Cain's jealousy over Abel, right? Uh, they, that person, I'm going to be guarded, I don't want to interact with them because they are better than I. Right? That's what you think. Like They're better than I. Uh, they have more talents than I do. Uh, maybe, it's, it's really just essentially an extension of your ego. Uh, and so it comes into a place of, you know what, if, if I interact with this person, their life reminds me of something that's failing in my life. That's a little tough one to, to, to say, yeah, I've been there. But there are people that, that, that go to that place. Like if I interact with this brother in the Lord, he's going to remind me how I, I have not reached the place where I really should be right now. Or, you know, it may get a little bit more earthly. Like, if I, inter if I interact with them, you know, I'm reminded that I don't have as much money as they do. Or I'm physically not in the same place as they are. Or I'm spiritually not in the same place. Like, some people actually roll into that jealousy. So I'm going to keep myself from them because when I'm interacting with them, they're reminding me of where I haven't quite completely arrived yet. Wow. And so, one spirit is, I'm going to separate myself from that. The other spirit is, man! Alan, how, 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 how did you get so good at what you do, right? Like, man, like you're an older brother, like there are things in your life. How did you raise a wonderful family that fears the Lord, loves the Lord? Like, can, can, instead of, it's how'd you do that? Like you go to, you see a brother or sister in law that seems to be doing well in their career and making good money. Like, instead of being jealous, hey brother, hey, you know, I, 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 I haven't been as successful as you, but you're my brother. And I don't have to be as successful as you because it's not a, a game like that. But can you maybe teach me some strategies? Like what worked for you? How can I learn from you? How can I become, how can I, how can I get on that road that, that, that you've been on? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is what the family of God is supposed to be like. Not competition. Not, wow. Like you, like, what, you fill in the blank, right? Um, you got to get rid of that spirit of Cain, right? You, you come, man, I, that is so awesome that you know how to fix cars, Joe. Joe, like, how, how did you learn how to do this? You know, whatever, whatever it may be, you know? Um, that's the way it should be. Amen? All right. Uh, the last one, uh, and if we could, um, actually not yet, but in a little bit, worship team can go on down. The last one is, uh, is the one... Uh, who does not see the actual value in family. Uh, they're, they're too busy, quote-unquote, to be involved with the family of God. We know that we're called to be a family. We know that there is benefits in it. But somehow we've justified in ourselves that, you know, it's, 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 I have too much going on. I have too much going on. Uh, and okay, that, that can happen, but really what's going on here is like we're supposed to be bound together as a family. Family spends time together. Family interacts with each other. Family calls each other on the phone. Family's like, I'm going through this. I need help. You know, that's what family does. That's right. That's right. Here we are. We got to do it. So, 
Proverbs 18, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. The rest of the story. What happens here is this guy, Chris McCandless, he crosses over that river. He crosses over the river. He sets up camp for the winter. He's a really smart guy. He's got all these field manuals. He actually has been trying to track down a moose. He, this, is, this is a true story. We know this from his memoirs. Okay, he's writing all this down. Um, he, uh, he's having a hard time finding game, um, so he starts uh, foraging. And so essentially what happens here is the late winter, um, plants are starting to come. But the, the, you know, it's Alaska, so even in the, late, in the late winter or early spring, the river's still frozen, right? Well, it's frozen, and what's going to happen here is um, he forages and he eats, uh, he sees in his field manual berries that he can eat. He eats the berries, he's been eating them because he's like, he's like, he hasn't had any meat, right, all winter. And so he's like, I got to eat. So he's eating these berries, eating these berries, eating these berries, and notices in the manual that he's eating the wrong berries. The berries are, in fact, poisonous. And he's like, oh, no. And like, he's feeling it. Like, he knows his body's undergoing toxic shock, and he's poisoning himself. He knows that he has to leave. He's like, I got to get help. So he goes to walk down to the river, and at this point, the river has been thawed. And now it's like this roaring glacier, 32 degree water, huge, like just current. And there's no way, there's no way you can cross it. It's that big. When you see in the movie, you're like, yeah, there's no way. And now he's trapped. He's trapped in his own isolation. And through his isolation, he became toxic, right? Seeking his own desire. And what's really, really powerful, you can't make this up. This is real. Finally, when they found him, He's in that bus. He has a book open. It's actually by uh, a work by uh, Tolstoy, a Russian uh, writer. And in the margin, on his lap, he wrote in the margin of Tolstoy's work on family. He's reading a book on family at the end of his life up there. He has this written. Happiness, only real when shared. This man just left, left his family because his family was pretty messed up. But along his journey, he meets these beautiful people. People from the Midwest, out West, they're just really treating him nice, all this kind of stuff. But he's like, no, I, that's my isolation, this is what I want to do. And no, 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 just putting up this block. And at the end, at the end, at the end, he realizes. At the end, he realizes that, you know what? He missed it the whole time. Happiness was all around him. Happiness was seen in a face. Happiness was seen in his dad. Happiness was in his mom. Happiness was in his sister. That real happiness can only be expressed when you're sharing it. You can share it, yes, with the Father and share it with, with, with the God. And absolutely. But we were created to be together. Right. We, are, we are those kind of pack animals, if you will. Like We were designed that way. Um, I was wondering if I should show this video or not, because it is a bit of a tearjerker. Um, but I, I hope you can, you can see and understand the grace of it within the confines of the message today. So if we can go to that clip on Google. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann könnte es ganz bestimmt. 
Time to come home. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body also in Messiah. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are actually necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow even greater honor. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all of the members rejoice with it. This video speaks to, I think, a certain reality. There are, many of us are part of a family, but we haven't come home yet. Right? We're all spread out, doing our things, doing, getting busy, doing all of our little lives, just like that German family there. And it takes, the, yes, the grandfather to fake this you know, weird kind of thing, fake his death, to bring everyone back together. But you see, when everyone came back together, they understood what could have been lost, but they realized what was not lost, and there was celebration. I think we as a body here at Bristol, we're family, but we haven't quite met, necessarily completely come home yet. Because when you come home, it's different. When you come home, you have a feast. When you come home, you interact with one another. When you come home, you love on one another. When you come home, you say, hey, how was work today? What was going on? There's a coming together. So it's more than being a family. We need to come home to one another. That's what we need to do. I am telling you, as this reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about different members, a lot of times we spiritualize it. Like you need one person to preach, you need one person to play the cello, one person to do this, one person to be the usher. I don't think that's necessarily the spirit that is going on here. I'm telling you as a brother, and I'm telling you as a pastor, yes, I need you. I need you. You are a reminder and a representation of the power and the goodness of the Son of God in my life and in your life. It is not just spiritual giftings like this person can prophesy and this person can speak in tongues. No, it is not just that, although it is that as well. You see, when I see you, I see the power of the cross. When I see Joe Kelly, I'm reminded of the laughter and humor and lightheartedness of the Lord. And I need that after a long week. I need it. When I see Mang and Sandra and Pat, I'm reminded of hospitality and a servant's heart. When I see Alan, when I see Laura, 
When I see Michael Hampton, I am reminded of the patience of the Lord. And when I see it in your lives, I'm like, man, look at that brother. Look at that sister. How did you form patience inside yourself? Because I don't have it. But when I see you, I'm reminded of that patience. I'm reminded of where I'm lacking and I need it. When I see Joy Henderson, I see the smile. I see the lightheartedness. I see the joy that her name is. When I see Ruth, when I see Renee, when I see Donna, Irene, and Savannah, I am reminded of the faithfulness of the cause of the gospel in Bristol. Year after year, decade after decade, believing that the Lord was going to restore this church. When I see the Samuels, I see the beauty that, yes, a family, even when their family is older and they're in their 20s and teens, that they can come together and they can worship together. And when I see that, I'm reminded of the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord, that, yes, when you raise up a child in the ways of the Lord, they will not turn away, that they will continue. And I'm reminded of that when I see them. Oh, when I see Sharon and John, I'm reminded of faithful servants week in and week out. When I see the fishers who are not here today, maybe that's a reminder for us to pray for them. I am reminded of two people who are suffering in their body. They're suffering in the body, but every Saturday they go down to the nursing home and they give church to the people there. They're suffering in the body, but they're coming and declaring the goodness of the Lord. And I'm reminded that even though we go through suffering, you can have a praise upon your lips. That is what I see when I see that. And when I see my wife and my kids, I see the un unshakable love that our family, that our Father has for all of us. You see, we need each other. We are a family, and a family rooted in the power of the cross, in the power of love, cannot be shaken. And it will advance the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of family. And we're doing it here, multi-generational, multiculturally, one family and a shared purpose. But it is time for us to come home. It's time for us to have a feast again. It's time to fatten up the cow. Amen? Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we could all just come clean to one another. That we can have our wounds be healed through the perfect love of the Messiah. Lord, I pray that we all can believe and experience here that in fact this is a family. That we can call one another, that we can lean on one another. I pray against that spirit of Cain on Abel, of jealousy. I pray against this, the feeling of isolation right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that our hearts would be warmed right now, that our spirits would be moved right now to get someone's phone number, to give them a call during the week, just say, brother, sister, how's it going? I am a brother, I am a sister, and I just want it here. And I just want to stand by, and I just want to pray for you. Just let me know what's going on. I want to pose this challenge. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and it just seems like it's the right time. I need four family volunteers. And what I would like to do in the next month or two, I want... Four families, if, if you're moved, in four different locations. And I want to have family. I want to have a, a home experience, a potluck kind of dinner. And we'll have four volunteers. And here's the kicker. This is the part some of you aren't going to like. And hopefully you guys will sign up. And when you sign up, I and Michelle are going to assign you to home to go have dinner with those people. And guess what? We're, we're going to do it 
with the people that actually don't really hang out too much together during the week. So, you know, if you're, if you're from Southampton, maybe you're going to Levittown. If you're from Levittown, maybe you're going to Bristol. If from Bristol, maybe you're going up to Newtown, whoever the volunteers are. And you're going to be, yes, you're going to interact with your brothers and sisters that you haven't quite talked to in a little bit. How beautiful is that? So if you guys can let me know if you'd like to volunteer, open your home for that. I would like to get that going in the depths of winter. All right, we got one family already. Awesome. So, amen. Why don't we stand? Let's just, let's just rejoice in the Lord. If you would like some prayer on anything, but particularly this notion of maybe having to become a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe you have some hurt. Look, it's real, man. I have hurt. I have hurt from brothers and sisters that haven't, hasn't been completely healed yet. I tried going to them. It didn't quite work out the way I thought. But we want to just do all things befitting the name of the Lord. So we'll be here to pray for you for that. Have a wonderful week. Feel free to enjoy some fellowship downstairs, especially after a message like this. Have a wonderful week. Know that I love you. And know that I and we all need you here. Because you are distinct. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is no one on earth. And there never ever will be any human being that will ever be like you. You're unique. And you're special. And that's why it's so awesome to interact with you. Amen.